Amen. Please be seated. All right. Well, except for you guys. We have a baby dedication this morning. Jimmy and Rachel bringing up baby Jamie. Yay. Hi, precious. Oh, hi. Oh, look at that. Say hi over there. Say hi. Say hi. You wave back. You guys want to say? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Say hi. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big family, huh? Yeah. Aren't you adorable? Well, as you know, if you've been a part of Calvary Chapel for any length of time, we, we consider ourselves a family here, family of God, and, and we celebrate the, the arrival of one of the newest members of our family, and we come alongside Jimmy and Rachel, and, and we just want to lift little Jamie up to the Lord and, and pray for her. So if you would join me in prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you. You are the, the giver of life. And Lord, we thank you for this life. We thank you for little Jamie, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you just touch her from a very early age. Or that you just draw her to yourself. That you would just use her in amazing ways to bring you glory. Lord, I pray that she is just filled with with your joy from the earliest age. Lord, I pray that she remembers from the very beginning, the time spent with mommy and daddy and your word, learning, learning, your, learning your word, memorizing your word, learning the importance of coming to you in prayer. Lord, I pray for Jimmy and Rachel, Lord, that you give them wisdom beyond their years on how to raise Jamie. And Lord, as a family, that we would come alongside them continually as we see them and we pass by them, that we would... We would remember to pray for them. We thank you for this beautiful gift. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. She is precious. Uh, God bless you guys. Take care. Yeah. You can stay if you want. All right, if you'd please take out your Bibles with me now. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We continue our verse-by-verse study The life of Jesus is recorded for us by someone who is there, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, eyewitness to the things that we we see and that we speak of. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, it says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, 
except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. Well, we see as Jesus continues on, his, on, on the ministry that he's called to and, and as he is sharing and teaching and going through, we come across our nemesis, the, the bad guys, <laughs> the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Lord has been drawing and attracting the people from all around to come and to hear, but these guys keep showing up at all of these places. The Pharisees, as we've discussed, they're the legalists. They're the ones who have added all sorts of rules and regulations to the Word of God. The Sadducees, they are the ones who have taken away from the Word of God. They only believe in the first five books of Moses and everything else they discount. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees and Sadducees have very little in common except their hatred of Jesus. Their, their opposition to Jesus and what Jesus stands for. And quite honestly, the reason that is, is because Jesus being the truth, having the truth, stands in stark contrast to what they are all about. They consider him a threat, a threat to their very livelihood, a threat to their way of life, because he stands again in contrast to what they are teaching, what they are sharing. We see that even in the world around us today, it continues that way, where people who have nothing in common at all will unite against the truth of Jesus. We're okay if you talk about Jesus, but don't talk about him as God. Don't talk about him as anything else, as historical man we're good with. But as soon as we start bringing in Jesus as Lord, man, it's amazing who comes together against that. And we see here that they come and they're continually trying to test Jesus. They're trying to find ways that they can trip Jesus up. And I love so much the way that Jesus responds to them. He just keeps it really simple. He doesn't try to get into, you know, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. As a matter of fact, we see it just after, at verse 4, he leaves. He's, he's, he says what he has to say and he's, he's, he moves on. And he says to them, it's amazing that you can discern the physical. You can look up at the skies and tell all of these different things, but you totally miss the spiritual things. You totally miss what is all around you. Their very statement says that. Show us a sign. We want to see a sign from heaven. They have been around to see all of these miracles of Jesus. As a matter of fact, a couple chapters ago, as we saw, they saw all of these things, and instead of giving glory to God, they said, you're doing this by the, by the power of Satan. They, it wasn't like they needed to see more. What they needed to do was, was see with their hearts more. They needed to have eyes to see, spiritual eyes. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're missing everything spiritually. He says you don't have the, the ability to discern the signs of the times. You're missing it completely. He's saying there that the scriptures that they held, that they studied, that they taught, all of them pointed to him. As a matter of fact, we're going to see later on in a discussion with them, they're going to say, you search the scriptures, Jesus says to them. And in these scriptures, you think that you, you're going to find eternal life, but you're missing the fact that they all point to me. Everything points to me. If they were truly studying with their spiritual eyes and, and asking God to reveal to them, they would see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the scriptures they study. Missing the signs of the times. Now, we, in our current time, yes, we are also to pay attention to the signs of the times. 
Now when I say that, I am not saying that we should get into deep, deep study into things and try to pick out dates and try to look for all of these different things that are going on because I think oftentimes we can get our eyes off of the, what we're supposed to be focused on by getting carried away in certain things, but we can't deny the fact that, that we are living in very special times. Times that many in history looked forward to and, and didn't even believe would ever get here. hundred years ago, the, the people that studied the Word of God, most of them thought that the, his, that the nation of Israel ever coming back together was an allegorical thing that was spoken of in the Scriptures because they said there's no way that Israel could ever come together as a nation. Ta-da! Here we are. They would read and, and see, see these things in the, in the scriptures and talk about worldwide devastation. And they'd be like, how could that ever possibly happen? We have weaponry today that would destroy our world many times over. Knowledge expanding continually at rapid pace. All of these things point to the fact that we live in very special times. And that should spark in us one thing. A sense of urgency. The time is short. Jesus could come back at any time. He could come back before kickoff today. <laughs> Sorry, Cardinals fans. Wouldn't bother me a bit. I, you know. We can't miss that. Many of you, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I, I get people asking me all the time, what do you think about this whole blood moon thing? I think it's fascinating. But I don't have time to get into it a whole lot. I've got to be honest with you. If something fantastic and amazing happens, praise the Lord. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one that's, that's into all of that. I, the Lord's called me to do something very different. But God bless you if you're all excited about that and everything. That's cool. But bottom line is we need to focus, and it should strike within us one thing. Not, not again, looking for additional, all of this other stuff. It's a sense of urgency because time is short. And our time being short is a good thing. The world's time being short is a horrible thing. They don't know Jesus. <laughs> so we need to have a sense of urgency to bring that message out. Jesus said, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. We've talked of that before because this isn't the first time he said this. That sign of Jonah speaks of his resurrection. Identifying again that Jonah being in the belly of the, the great fish for three days, Jesus being in the belly of the earth will rise again. Speaking of his resurrection, and Paul tells us that without that, our faith is worthless. That is what our faith is built on. His resurrection, his conquering death, our new life in him, being born again in him. Not signs and wonders, not signs in the heavens, but that fact. Well, it says that Jesus left them, went away, verse 5, the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this amongst themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring any bread. I'm wondering how many of them said, he said that because you didn't bring any bread. How could, it was your job. Don't point that around. They discussed this amongst themselves, but Jesus aware of this. <laughs> Nothing gets by Jesus. Nothing, nothing you do can ever be outside of his, his sight, his understanding, and that's a very good thing. 
It should, it should cause us to take a check on how we live our lives, but know that we'll never face anything and we'll never be alone. He understands it all. He's right there. He's aware of this. And he said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus, again, we've spoken of this already, that the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the teaching, the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus says, beware of this, understanding this. Again, the Pharisees, the legalists, those who add to the word of God, putting in rules and regulations and other things in addition to what God has said in his word and even holding that to his highest standard as the word of God. Jesus says, beware of that. Stay, stay away from that. The Sadducees, again, they didn't believe in anything but the five books of, of Moses. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in all of these types of things, taking away from the word of God. Jesus says, beware of that. Stay away from that. Now, I think it's interesting because it says that they were discussing this amongst themselves. They got together and they were talking about it amongst themselves. And it's amazing what we can come up with when we get together and we talk amongst ourselves, when it's just us, when we put together a committee, right? <laughs> it's amazing what we, can, what we can come up with when we rely on our own understanding, when we try to work off of each other in this, discussing it just amongst ourselves. Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So in how many ways are we supposed to acknowledge him? All of them. <laughs> We're not supposed to get together and just discuss it amongst ourselves. A lot of things really crazy happen then. It's amazing the things that we can come up with. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many still think this, but how many of you at one time in your life ever thought that it was in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves? I mean, I did. I used to think, that, that sounds biblical. That's got to be in here. It's not. It's not. That's what happens when we get together and discuss amongst ourselves. God helps those who help themselves. We have to go out there and God will come along later. No, the Bible, if it teaches anything, says God helps those who can't help themselves. When we come helpless before him and say, God, I, I've made a mess of everything, please, it's amazing, I, Jesus, when he confronts this, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? I'm right here. <laughs> why would you talk amongst yourselves about not having any bread? And then he said, did you forget what took place? The, the, the f five loaves and the two fish? We fed 5,000 people till they were stuffed and then you had enough food left over? Why are you talking about that amongst yourselves? The bottom line is, guys, he's right here today. He's right here amongst us. He is right here with us all the time. And he's just it, the same thing. When we start trying to get together and figure out how to do something and we don't include him, he's got to be saying, guys, I'm right here. I'm right here. Don't focus on this, this stuff. Bring that to me. 
men of little faith, still focused on the earthly things. Basically saying, I'm sure, haven't I proven it to you enough? Haven't I shown you enough? How many of the guys were at the men's retreat last week? I see a lot of yellow shirts out there. Friday night, Pastor John said something that has stuck with me. It's really, it just keeps going over and over in my heart. I've shared it with about everybody I've talked to all week long because it's just, it so spoke to me and so speaks to this issue right here. He said, God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. He is faithful. He is always faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that demands my trust. It doesn't help it. It doesn't elicit it. It demands it. How can, we, how can we move along any other way? And that's what Jesus again is saying here. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And all these other things will take care of themselves. They will, they will all be taken care of. They will all be added unto you. Well, verse 13 now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Caesarea Philippi is an area north of the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel, no doubt you've visited Caesarea Philippi. It's one of the, area, one of the things that's on the, the tour schedule that we go to. We can actually stand in the very place where this story takes place, these next few verses. Matter of fact, we have a couple of pictures um, from a trip that we've taken there before. This first picture, you see the cave back there up in the background. In front of that in Jesus' time, there was a huge temple to the Greek god Pan that was there. Uh, the, out of the mouth of the cave, that, that water that you see there is, a, is actually one of the headwaters of the Jordan River. It comes right out. That's at the base of Mount Hermon right there, and the waters come flowing right out of the ground. There's a rushing river in like no time. It's a beautiful setting. The water used to come out of the, the mouth of the cave. And this last picture I think we have that uh, from up on top there, and you can see the cave then off to the left, and you can see the different rock cropping, or the cut-ins to the rock there where different idols were placed. This is the setting where this story takes place. If you've never been to Israel and would like to go, we're planning our next trip for the spring of 2017. We'll have some more information coming out soon on that, so start saving your shekels. But Caesarea Philippi used to be called Panias, for the Greek god Pan, it has a, a long history of idol worship. As a matter of fact, way before Jesus' time, the god Baal was worshipped there. They have uncovered over 14 temples that were set up around there for different worshipping of different gods. Again, the Greek god Pan was the, at the height of his worship at this time when Jesus was there with his disciples. Uh, he was supposed to be the, the god of nature and the god of fertility and supposedly was born out of the mouth of that cave, and so that's why that is set up there. Um, extremely sensual and perverted worship that took place of the god Pan. Um, had temple prostitutes and all of that that was going on in there. Not only Pan, not only Baal, but all sorts of other gods. As a matter of fact, at this time it was called Caesarea Philippi, as we see, which was set up to worship Caesar, Herod Philip, we talked of him a few weeks ago, one of the, the Herod sons, Philip was, over, oversaw this area and he tried to kiss up to Caesar, named it Caesarea, and then threw his name in there, Philippi. 
So this whole area, Jesus brings this, the, the, his disciples here to a place where you could worship pretty much any God you wanted, except the only God that wasn't worshipped there was the true and living God. And so Jesus brings his disciples there and he asks them two questions. The first one, he says, who do, who do people say that I am? And he didn't ask this for information. It wasn't like he was curious. What's the word out on the street about me? No, it was, it was for them to answer it, for them to, to, to make a statement so that they understood what the world is saying, and it's also setting up his second question. Now, we need to take a look at this today as well. Who do people today say that Jesus is? It's, not, it's very similar to what they said back then, at least the heart of it. Very few people today deny the historicity of Jesus, that he was actually a physical character in history. There's way too much extra-biblical proof that Jesus lived. Most people will agree that he was a man that lived at one time, but that's where, where most people deviate from what we believe, because many believe that he was just a great teacher, that he, that he, that he was willing to even die for what he believed in. That he was a great example. Uh, I, many, I've heard even people say, I try to live by the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said. They don't follow Jesus as Lord, but they try to live by his example. They try to follow the example that's laid out for us. It, uh, a good man. Now, it's interesting, too, that other religions, their view on Jesus, again, don't deny that he existed. The Jews, they, they believe that Jesus was a teacher. Many of their their writings even refer to him as a rabbi, that he was crucified during the Passover time frame, that he claimed to be the Messiah, that he, was a, that he was a good man, again, a teacher, a miracle worker. Muslims believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. They believe that he should be a respected prophet, a messenger, a miracle worker. They even believe that Jesus ascended to heaven. Hindus believe that he is a God amongst many gods, that he was a holy man. Buddhists and even New Age teaching today believe that he was a wise, enlightened man, one of many paths to heaven. There's many different opinions, but there's only one truth. That's where Jesus is bringing them together here. What are all of, what are all of the opinions? But there's only one truth. Jesus is either who he says he is and who the Bible declares him to be, or he's not. There's only two things. He either is or he isn't. And if he is not, if he is not who he claimed to be, he is not a good man. Because he has misled more people than anyone else in the entire history of the world if he's not who he says he is. He's certainly not worth following. One of the biggest liars in the, in the history of the world, if he is not who he says he is, who the Bible tells us that he is. Jesus gets this information from them. In verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That first question, again, was to set this up. And in the original language that it's written in, in the Greek, it's emphatic. It says basically, but you, who do you say that I am? A very pointed, personal question. 
And that question is still pointed and still personal to every one of us. Everyone who has ever lived has to come to grips and has to answer that question. But you, who do you say Jesus is? Everyone, again, comes face to face with that question. And there's no greater question that is ever asked. Because this question has eternal ramifications. We all make decisions on a day-to-day basis. We all answer questions and make decisions regularly that have consequences. Some short-term consequences, some long-term consequences, some minor consequences, some major consequences. But this question has eternal consequences. Again, there's many opinions, but there's only one truth. And there's no way to remain neutral in it. You can't just say, you know what, I'm not going to decide. I'm not going to say whether he is or he isn't. I'm just going to sit this out. Because to not decide is to decide. Jesus said, you are either for me or you're against me. You are either 100% in or you are completely out. You can't ride the fence. So verse 16 It tells us that Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter speaks up. We see here Jesus called him Simon Barjona. That's his birth name. Simon was the name he was given at birth. Barjona means son of Jonah. But Jesus renamed him Peter. And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' response to Peter's confession tells us that that's the correct answer. And that is the only correct answer, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's confession, a confession means that you say the same thing as someone. So when we confess, as he is confessing here, we are agreeing with God on a particular thing. And here, Peter is confessing first that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the Savior that was promised in the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, many missed the point then, and many still do today, the Savior of what? The Savior from what? Most in Jesus' time, and many, most still today, look to Jesus, okay, a savior from my current physical situation. They were looking for the Messiah to come and to, and to relieve the oppression from Rome and, and to take care of their physical needs and, and those types of things. Missing the fact that when Jesus' birth was prophesied, And the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Save save his people from their sins. So in this confession that he is the Christ, understanding first that we are agreeing with God that we need a Savior, that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God and we need a Savior, and confessing that Jesus is that Savior. He is the one and only. Confessing also you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. Everyone understood that to mean what it does mean. That He is God. Jesus 
is God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus made the claim that he is God over and over and over again. And as God, he is the creator. And as the creator, we are accountable to him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus created all things, and all things were created for him. He holds it all together in his hands. He is master. He is Lord. He is king. He deserves and commands our submission. We need to be submitted to him. Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Bottom line, if you think that Jesus was just a good teacher, you'll follow him as you would any good teacher. Listening to things that they have to say, checking in every once in a while, seeing if there's anything new that you can glean from. If you think that Jesus is just full of good ideas, you'll follow him as somebody with good ideas. And you'll, you'll take some of those ideas and, and put them into your life. If you think that Jesus is just a good example, you'll try to follow his example. But if you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, it will change everything about your life. You can't continue in the same way as before. We are born again. Old things have passed away. It's not just get out of hell insurance to follow Jesus. Our lives need to change. He's not just our Savior. He is our Lord. We need to follow him that way. That is what is tied up in Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because you didn't come up with that on your own. You came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God showed you that in your heart. The Father revealed that truth to you. We can't come to know Christ in the way we are talking about right now by natural wisdom or by study alone. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, foolishness to him. The natural man in our flesh, we can't do it. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. Yes. You can't look at at nature. You can't look at the universe. You can't look at those things and seriously not look at it and say, there has to be a creator. This couldn't all have all just happened 
I'm sorry, you can't come to that conclusion unless, like the, the psalm says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. If you start out by saying there can't be a creator, well, I suppose you can come to that conclusion. But everybody else has to come to it. Yes, that is true. It can make us curious. But curiousness, curiosity, gives way to conviction. It opens up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit then to convict our hearts. But it can't stop there because everyone will come under conviction at one point or another in their life. God will make himself real to everyone at one point or another in their life. Conviction must be followed by confession. A submission of all that, all that we have and submitting it to the Lord Jesus. And again, that's a work of God in us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of ourselves, as a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, everyone will be given this opportunity. The bottom line and the question is, what are you going to do with it? But you, who do you say Jesus is? But Jesus continues in verse 18, continuing to speak to to the disciples, directly to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Verse 18 is one that has been used to get, to get way off, build a, build a whole doctrine of a church, and it's, it's kind of timely based on who's visiting our country right now. Let me just say that What this verse does not say, it does not say that Peter is the rock that Jesus will build his church on. Peter is not the rock. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We're going to see in just a couple of verses. We won't get there today, next week. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, speaking to Peter. (laughs) Not a real good first act as Pope. (laughs) If if Jesus says... We're going to see that Peter denies Jesus three times. And if you say, well, okay, but that was before the Holy Spirit came upon Peter. Okay, but after the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, Paul had to confront him to his face, call him a hypocrite, and call him out because he was treating Jews different. He was acting differently in front of Jews than he was Gentiles. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Peter. I'm having a cup of coffee in heaven with Peter. I want to sit down and talk to him because, man, God used him in amazing ways. As a pastor, are you kidding me? His first sermon and 3,000 people came forward and accepted Christ? I want to talk to Peter. I have great respect for him. But he is not, he, he never was infallible. He's not the rock. He's a man. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. Now, for you Greek geeks, this verse 18 literally says, you are Peter, Petros. It's in the feminine gender, which means stone fragment, smaller rock. And upon this Petra, rock, masculine gender, massive boulder. I will build my church. 
you are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. Two different words. Okay, some of you really thinking here. Jesus didn't speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. Okay, there's two words for rock in Aramaic, too. <laughs> and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew recorded it this way. Also, just for that whole another step of Greeky geekiness, Petra being in the feminine gender can't be the modifier for the masculine gender. Now, if that means anything to you, God bless you. But <laughs> bottom line, the sentence structure even rules out that Peter was the one that the church is built on. And guys, again, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because he's just a man. Upon this rock, Jesus said, this rock, he is the rock. Upon the confession that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, I will build my church. Jesus builds his church. Peter said as much himself, 1 Peter chapter 2, and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up a spiritual sacrifice as acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. We are built up on him. His church. Again, word, Greek word there, ecclesia, it means a gathering. In a secular sense, it would mean a gathering of, of a large group of people for, for anything. Jesus uses that word to speak of the gathering of his people, the gathering of those who have made this profession that he is the Christ, that he is Lord. He will build his church. He will do the washing, the cleansing, the sanctifying of the people in his church. Ephesians chapter 5, it's a verse that tells us husbands how we are to love our wives, but it also tells us how Christ works in his church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." He is the one who does that work. He draws us. He brings us together. He washes us with his word. He is the one who presents us to himself blameless, wrapped in his righteousness. His body of people worldwide. We can't ever lose sight of that. We are a part of the body of Christ throughout the world. We need to be praying regularly for our brothers and sisters around the world who, who, unlike us, can't gather in a nice air-conditioned facility this morning and sing, sing out loudly and boldly like we did earlier, but are meeting in secret, some in prison, some facing death for their faith. We need to remember them in prayer. They are part of this body, this church that Jesus is building, sanctified, set apart, the Lord Jesus dwelling in and within us. Now, please, I hope nobody takes this wrong out of context of what I am saying. But guys, we are not called to live a purpose-driven life. We are sheep. Cattle are driven. Sheep are led. 
We are to be spirit-led. We are to be led by the Spirit of God, led by the Word of God, led by the Good Shepherd. The only purpose that we have is His. It is His church. We can't build it on our stuff. We can't come up with our own schemes and, and different things on church growth and all of this other kind of stuff. That's his job. He will build his church. He will protect his church. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know that every power in hell has been trying to destroy the church from day one. But he protects and it's growing. <laughs> well, verse, verse 19, just as misunderstood as verse 18. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, this verse has been taken in all sorts of crazy directions. Binding this, binding that, loosing this, loosing that, a whole lot of windy, bindy, loosey-goosey stuff going everywhere from this verse. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. It is singular here, and people point to that and say, well, Jesus is giving Peter the keys of heaven. That's why he sits at the pearly gates, and he decides who gets in and gets out. You know? That he's the one who binds and looses. Yes, it's singular here, but in chapter 18, verse 18, just a couple of more chapters, Jesus speaking to all of the disciples, it is plural then, says the exact same thing. So what does he mean? What is he talking about here? Well, we need to understand what they understood when Jesus said that. The keys. The keys were given, the scribes walked around with keys to identify them as scribes. The ones who had the scriptures, who would look at the scriptures, who would interpret the scriptures, and what they said that you must do and the things that were discretionary were called binding and loosing. Binding were those things that were obligatory. You had to do them. Loosing were discretionary. You could if you wanted to. You wanted extra blessing or whatever. You could do these things. So Jesus is saying here, giving specific authority now to the disciples as they move forward by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record for us the rest of the Word of God that we hold in our hands. If we look at, again, what, how, it, how the, it is written out here, it says, what you bind in heaven has already been, or what you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. What you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. They're not, we're, Jesus isn't saying, we're going to wait up in heaven until you tell us what to do. You bind it, okay, we'll do it. No, it's the other way around. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have the scriptures in front of us that, that tell us those things that are, that are obligatory, those things that are, that are discretionary in our walk with the Lord. We continue our study and we get into the book of Acts and some of these other things where it even says, and, and it recorded for us in the Gospels, that when Jesus said a certain thing, it meant that there was no longer the dietary restriction. That's no longer, those things are recorded for us. How we are to live our lives. Everything we need is right here. Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 
It's all right here. Everything that we need. Jude tells us that it's been given to us once for all. It's not added to anymore. We have the totality of Scripture in our hand. Well, verse 20 is a very interesting verse when we first, if, you, if we first look at it. If we stopped here in our study, which we're going to do today, it would, it would be kind of puzzling. It says, then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, wait a second. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to tell everyone? Yes. So why did he say this then to them? Because they didn't understand the full implication of what it meant that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And we're going to see that because in verse 21, it tells us that Jesus then began to teach them from that moment on that the Messiah, he, must go and suffer and die. They didn't understand that. They didn't grasp that. See, they didn't, the, the Jewish people didn't see their Messiah as a suffering servant at first. They saw him, this conquering king. That's how he's coming the second time. The first time he came as a suffering servant. And they miss that. And it's a stumbling block to many. As a matter of fact, Paul says that exact thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. That your king would suffer and die? That the one that you worship would be stripped naked and nailed to a cross? A stumbling block for the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, foolishness to the world, but to us, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, he told them not to tell anyone yet because they didn't understand it all. We're to tell everyone that we know because we do. Under the, again, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the revelation to us, we do understand we understand, again, that those that are blinded, that, don't under, that, that look to Isaiah 53, the Jews look at Isaiah 53 and they don't understand what it could possibly be speaking of. As a matter of fact, they said it must be speaking of them as the Jewish people. But it speaks of Jesus. It says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. See, God is a God of love. He's a God of compassion. He's a patient, long-suffering God. But the characteristic of God that, that overarches all of who he is, is he is holy. The angels circle his throne continually saying, holy, holy, holy. And in his holiness, he is just. He is righteous. He cannot have sin in his presence. And that's a problem for every one of us. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. And... There's nothing that we can do to fix that problem. It says the wages of sin is death. Death not just physically, but death eternally. Death facing the wrath of God forever in hell. The only 
the only chance that any of us have is to have a perfect substitute in our place. And I, I, I love you guys. But if I were to die for you, it would do nothing for you. Because I'm a sinful man. It took the death of a sinless man. And because of that, God himself, Jesus, stepped off of his throne. He came down to, ha- came down to earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life. Tempted, tested in every way like you and I, but without sin. And then he willingly gave it all up on the cross. Suffered and died the most humiliating death for you and for me. If you're here today and you have never taken that step to surrender your life to him, you've never, you you maybe think he's a great guy. Maybe think that he's a really smart guy, that he's got a gr- some great teachings. And you've been, maybe you've even been going to church your whole life and you're trying to live following Jesus, living a life that follows that and his example, but you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never confessed him as Lord. You are still dead in your trespasses and sins. If you were to die today, you would face eternity, separated from the love of God, facing the wrath of God forever. But it doesn't have to be that way. He loves you enough to the point where he gave it all for you, but he will not force it on you. You have to to willingly receive the free gift. You need to confess, just as Peter confessed. You need to agree with God, first of all, who you are, a sinner, a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God, a a sinner who deserves the wrath of God. But then you agree with God about who he is, Savior, Lord, and you surrender your life to him. I want to give you that opportunity here this morning if you haven't ever done that. We're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing one last song together. I would ask that nobody leave. If you are born again today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, would you stand and sing his praises together with me? And I'd ask you to pray. But if you have never made that decision, you've never surrendered your life, I would ask that we're going to turn the lights down, we're going to be standing, I'd ask that you just make your way forward. We'd love to take an opportunity to pray with you. Have you invite Jesus into your life to surrender your life to him? We'll have pastors and elders up front. I know what you're thinking now. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Come up front? Yeah. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. Don't worry. Nobody in this room is going to judge you. Because, because and by the way, if you are going to judge somebody who would come forward, you need to follow them up here. <laughs> because we have all been there. We are, not, we are no better than anyone else. We are, all, we are all equal before the Lord. We are all completely dependent on his, his mercy, His grace, His forgiveness. But I'd just like to ask you, if that is you, that you would just say, I'm, I'm tired of fighting it. I'm tired of running. The Holy Spirit right now is convicting you. You, you know I'm talking to you. How do I know? Because I've been there. <laughs> We've all come under that conviction. Don't harden your heart. Surrender to that. And just come forward. We'd love that opportunity to pray with you. So the rest of us, all of us, we would stand now. Let's sing one last song to the Lord this morning.